Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. My name is Jake Burns. I'm an enterprise strategist with AWS. Today, I'm joined by Brandon Pulsifer. He's the Vice President of Cloud Operations at Adobe. Brandon, welcome. Thanks, good to be here. So can you start off, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what you do at Adobe? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been at Adobe, uh, I came about 12 years ago through acquisition, spent 10 years before that with a startup in the digital marketing and, and kind of digital transformation space. And, uh, and now I've spent the last 10 years helping Adobe along this cloud journey as we've, uh, we've expanded and, and just taking that journey together with uh, both the solutions that Adobe purchased and acquired, as well as uh, the, the transition of the, the creative cloud that most people are familiar with. And so what is a cloud operations at Adobe do? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, I think, intentionally broad term so that we can put whatever we want in there. But uh, focus on the, the cloud infrastructure, whatever you know, sort of your interpretation of cloud is, if that's uh, internal, external, kind of public, private, all of the end-to-end -end infrastructure, however we deliver that. Focus on the cloud spend, cloud efficiency, and kind of cloud maturity. Um, and just kind of helping the business continue to adopt and, and use the modern technologies in a way that adds value. Great. Uh, I understand that at Adobe, you've tried a few different organizational models and uh, models for IT. Um, how do you know a model is working and um, how do you react quickly uh, when you find out that things aren't working? Yeah, I think, you know, I think this, this kind of concept of of agile and kind of the engineering world making its way to IT has been a really fun um, kind of merger of mindsets to see and see the IT kind of industry embrace that. And I'd say that's part of what we've been through in this this cloud journey where operations and engineering really come together. And so we've we've uh, had to you know charter a little bit of our own path through that kind of DevOps SRE. What does that mean? How do we get there? How do we move from the sysadmin world to this this new approach of of, of infrastructure as code, and and um, we've been through quite a quite a few organizational adjustments and changes to get there. And um, I think you know three or four for me, three or four organizations and organizational names over the past three or four years. But um, folks have embraced it, and I think are excited and energized by um, by new ways of doing things. And and so it's been it's been an exciting transition. So three or four different names. Um, why is the name important or is the name important? I, yeah, I don't know that the name is as much important. Pro probably we've tried to embrace that a little bit. I mean, we used to be kind of network operations. That was, you know, you had your network operations center. And so um, we had that and then technical operations will, you know, help reinforce it's more than network. Um, and, um, and then really we kind of embraced the cloud mindset and and the engineering mindset. And so uh, there was some intentionality in, in becoming cloud engineering. Um, and as we grew our site reliability engineering team, the SRE organization, that was, I think, a good a good fit. And, and here today, we're back to kind of a, a more operational name, but there's still a lot of engineering that we do. Yeah, I think it's good to keep it um, something that's easy to say. You know, it should roll off the tongue, right? I think engineering and operations might be just like too much, right? Um, so any particular lessons learned through these uh, organizational changes that you've been through? Any advice that you would give to leaders that may be going through something similar? I, I think just that, I mean, the willingness to, to change and kind of embrace new ideas, new opportunities is, is something that, um, that's been important along the way, I think both at a, a leadership level and just across the organization. So, um, and then navigating change, right? Changes, we all like change, except when it's thrust upon us. And so, I, I think just the journey of, of how to navigate change at all levels has been a really, really 
kind of important aspect and, and one that we've learned from as well. Yeah, I think that 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 point is so important. You know, change is something that it's funny that you say that we all like change because my experience, um, I've, I've been through some organizational changes where the folks really were not happy about the change. Um, what's your trick? How do you how do you get people to embrace it? Oh, I wish there were a trick or a, a secret sauce to it. No, I think it's, you know, I think it's to some extent the basics. I mean, I think uh, transparency is is key. Share with people, tell people what you're doing, why you're doing it, um, what the vision is. And, and so I think that's really key, just the transparency and then communication um, throughout that journey. And it's, you know, it's not one announcement. Uh, one change and you're done. It's it's uh, how does that play out over time? And so just continuing the dialogue, communicating, you know, frequently and and consistently with people, and then and then being open. I, I think that organizational change is, I, I think, one of these areas where sort of every question is a good question because um, you know if that's something that people are wondering about, we need to be willing as leaders to just answer those questions, even if they're hard questions, even if we don't know the answer. Yeah. You know, my personal experience, I never had a problem answering those questions from people, but a problem that I, I had was getting people to actually ask them. <laughs> I have some ideas, but I'm wondering, do you have any <laughs> ideas? Uh, uh, how do you get your folks to to actually, you know, express their concerns and ask the questions that they're... I would say, yeah, that that is a challenge for sure. I, I guess creating a culture where that's normal and that's desired and, and that we're actually going to answer the questions. We're not sort of going to take We'll take all your questions today and we'll get back to you later. Like that doesn't play out very well. So I think there's got to be that mutual trust by the team to be able to ask, ask those questions. And then I think creating forums where they can do that. Not everybody wants to raise their hand in an all hands. In, and so just creating different ways that they can, they can interact with leaders. And we have a lot of great opportunities to do that. All the sort of traditional methods of, of all hands and announcements, but Getting creative, you know, through um, through Slack or through whatever your kind of chat medium is. Um, I find the more kind of intimate settings. Uh, you know, I do lunch once every four or five weeks with just a group of ten or twelve employees, and, and they're pretty open when there's a handful in the room. Um, and so I think those kinds of things uh, can really facilitate the opportunity to have a good have a dialogue. I've had a lot of success with that in the past, right? You don't necessarily have to be best friends with your team, right? But uh, making it a little more personal, a little bit less formal, right? So Brandon, a big focus for you has been cloud efficiency. I'm curious, uh, how do you track that? And maybe we could start off, what is cloud efficiency? Yeah, I think I think that is an important question because it's I, I think it's one of these things we're still kind of defining. There's not, right? There's not a sort of industry definition um, or a set of standards that necessarily define that. So I think it, it a little bit has to be defined individually by each company or organization and, and what their objectives are. But I, I think it's right. What's what what's important in terms of efficiency? How do we make sure we're using every dollar the the best way and creating value? We want obviously we all want to drive every dollar we can into kind of innovation and creativity and value for our customers. And so if we're spending extra dollars on infrastructure um, then we're not able to do that. So I think it's just about it's about making sure we have the right balance in in that investment. Well, coming from Amazon, I really love that answer. It's <laughs> every dollar you're not spending on customers is is not efficient. You know, that's a good way to look at it. Do you think there's a trade off between efficiency and agility? Uh, I don't think there has to be. Um, I, I think actually they fit really well together. I, I think agility the ability to be elastic and scale up. And I think a lot of companies scale up really well because um, we we are forced into, into building for that from an IT and an engineering aspect. But we're 
the same forcing function doesn't exist to have to scale down and, and the, the other side of agility. And so, um, but I think there's a lot of value there that, that can be derived. They don't have to be competitive. Great agility and the ability to be elastic and spin up and spin down, right? Can create a great customer experience and, and drive better efficiency. So it, it doesn't have to be sort of choose one or the other. It's, there's a, you know, there's a sort of two for benefit you can get. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and it's something that I always talk about. You know, we, we love to talk about scaling up, but we don't talk about scaling down often enough. And it's kind of like scaling down is too boring to talk about. It's like cost savings and eliminating waste. But actually, I think if you take a more long-term view, and I wonder if you agree with this, um, you know, the, just having that ability to shut things off and stop paying for them and having the ability to scale things down um, tends to make organizations bolder in what they try and what they experiment with because the cost of failure is, is much less. So it actually has kind of an exciting benefit um, that kind of stems from that ability to scale down. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's true, um, the ability. And, and I think the more that we can, we can drive value and, um, and understand agility and, and right, how do, we, how do we prevent failure, but how do we learn from failure? Because uh, you know, inevitably in, in any kind of agile approach, there's gonna be some degree of failure. And so we have to be we have to understand and acknowledge that as a risk and, and just make sure we learn from it and adapt and right that failure is a failure is not a problem. The same failure again and again is a problem. Yeah, I would go so far as to say if you're not failing at least some of the time, you're probably not trying hard enough. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And, and right, the challenge we we haven't acknowledged in this industry is is how do we embrace the ability to, to be agile and experience that failure, but abstract our customers from being impacted by that? Right, right, exactly. So. A good failure would be one where you, it's something where your customers aren't impacted, but you're learning and you're not making that same mistake over and over again, obviously. And a bad failure would be one where it does impact customers. And obviously we don't want to have those kind of failures. So the, the a correct strategy would be, or a good strategy would be one where we're allowing ourselves to fail, but not have it impact our end customers. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's, that's, the, that's the, the end goal we all have. Excellent. Um, so when we're talking about efficiency, uh, we're talking about more than cost, right? Um, for example, um, there's a well-known shortage of great engineers out there right now. So when you have them, you wanna make sure you're getting um, as much value from them and giving them as much of an opportunity to create value for your customers as possible. Um, is that something that you also think about when you think about cloud efficiency? Yeah, I think, and I think that's a, another kind of cultural change that we have to kind of reframe our mindset around because it's it, the people element. It's not just the technology focus, there's the people side of that. And, and we have to think about that. And, and, and there's so many opportunities now as well to kind of outsource different aspects of, you know, do we build it? Do we, do we buy a managed service or a, 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 a PaaS or a MAS, whatever sort of the definition of the day is, I guess. But, and, and that, that factors heavily into the people element. You know, what are what are people doing? What do we want them doing with their time? How do they how do they create the most value? And 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 so I think that all has to come together. Yeah, yeah. When as you're talking about it, um, you know, perhaps one way to frame it would be, you know, the, the the more your engineers are actually solving business problems and not solving IT problems, that might be one way to measure efficiency. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, I, I think it's a little harder to measure, but that's that's definitely an important aspect. So part of this is keeping your team motivated. You know, in my experience with cloud, especially, but with any change, usually you have people who are dead against it, and then you have those that are enthusiastic about doing it. Um, very, very uh, infrequently, we have people kind of, you know, in the middle. 
So how do you get people from resistance to enthusiasm? It has been a journey, and I think that's, uh, I, I think that's true. There's not a lot of in the middle. People are either really excited, uh, and I would maybe even split that. They're excited, and they know what they want to go do. They're excited, but they're not sure how to get there. And, and maybe that leads, you know, that maybe that leads them to the other side, where then it sort of becomes fear-driven, and, and right? We're, we're all more comfortable doing what we know how to do than doing something, um, kind of stepping outside those, those bounds. And so I think a commitment to the employees that, hey, this, this is a journey we're on together. We're gonna help you, we're gonna learn, we're gonna invest in you and, and you know, teach you those skills. And, and so I think that's just been a really important aspect for us. And I've seen that help change people's mindset to, to really see, they have to see it and believe it and, right. and come around to it. But, um, and I think so many of these, of, of the, the job responsibilities and technology and, and engineering you know, they don't disappear, they just, they shift and they change a little bit. So I think as people kind of embrace that mindset that, uh, you know, we still need networking experts in, in the world of cloud. We still need storage experts. We still need a lot of these, a lot of these things that maybe have been more traditional IT roles. And, and I think there is some fear in certain parts of the industry that they're gonna go away, but, but we need them as much or more than ever. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. The jobs, Jobs are going away, but they're being replaced with better jobs, more exciting jobs, right? More fulfilling jobs. Um, you're going from, you know, racking and stacking servers, yeah. you know, into a capacity, you know, planning to building um, solutions for, you know, end customers and, and, and being able to do that very quickly. And I think uh, in my experience, you know, when, when engineers embrace that, you know, they actually become more passionate about their job because they had the why. I think that's probably was a missing component before with the undifferentiated work of IT. They didn't know why they were racking that server. But if they're building something in the cloud, very often they know the why and they can see if it works very, very quickly. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a valuable element and, and maybe the, the historical context of being able to sort of right, see and touch and you, you know you could rack something and you you can see the a physical, tangible accomplishment of of racking and cabling and deploying infrastructure and and you know in the world today that looks a little different but um, but you can you can you can get there much faster right and I think when you see the way that you can you can do that differently but do it as effectively or more effectively that that creates a lot of excitement. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I was one of those people too. I used to get excited going to data centers. You know, I I built data centers. Um, you know, and, and letting go of that can be difficult, right? It's what you know. It's what you built your career on. But what, what it's being replaced with is just so much more exciting. And it's just like, imagine having near infinite resources, you know, uh, at, available at your fingertips on demand, right? I mean, that kind of engineering is much more exciting. And I think when engineers realize that, that's when that kind of breakthrough moment happens for them and they get excited. Yeah, I, I think that, it, in a, you know, everybody hits that at a different point. So I think it's just one we have to, uh, you know, again, driving change and leading through change is an approach that requires a variety of aspects and, and different things are going to appeal to different people. And so we have to continue to tell that story and show people, um, show that, show people the value and where we're going and that, uh, that we're going to help them get there. And, and, and that creates a lot of excitement and energy and passion. Yeah. You mentioned investing in the team. Uh, I'm curious, um, obviously that is going to include training and certification, right? Um, is there any other types of investments um, that you've uh, done in your team or that, that you've tried at Adobe that maybe others can learn from? I think certainly the the kind of traditional elements, uh, like you mentioned, and and working with our working with our partners and and making sure we're we're training and creating the awareness of how to do things differently and what what they can do. I think just the knowledge sharing internally. I mean, there's so much. 
I, there's so much to be learned from each other internally and, and that gets that can be challenging at times. And so trying to create different kind of forums and mediums for folks to do that, I would say has been an area we've seen a lot of value, call it the kind of garage week, you know, how, how do they, how can we put people together and let them be creative and solve a, maybe attack a problem differently than they have and, and, and with a new set of tools. And that creates, again, some excitement and, and they, they can catch that vision a little bit and, and they can actually see from, from folks around them, you know, versus hearing about some mythical transition that somebody went through, I can actually see my peers and, and others going through the transition and maybe they're a step or two ahead of me, but that, that excites me and encourages me to continue down that journey. Right. Yeah, and I think every transformation has that. There's gonna be early adopters and late adopters and those in the middle, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, being able to kind of leverage those early adopters and as, as model, role models and kind of examples and, and mentors, right? Uh, for others on the team. And the reality is we, we sort of need that phased approach because these aren't overnight transitions. And so having, you know, we still have to deliver a lot of things. We have legacy applications and and some of these different needs that still depend on on some older ways of doing things. And, it, you know, we do have to re-architect and, and adapt. And so have, having folks that are excited and committed and willing to help us keep doing that through the journey is an important part of it. So, Brandon, one of the things that comes up uh, when we engage with uh, executives uh, going through transformations is this question, does it have to be a top-down um, led transformation or can it be start from the middle? Can it grow organically from the bottom? I'm wondering, how did how did this transformation come about at Adobe and what are your thoughts on how to uh, initiate one? Yeah, I don't think it has to come from top down. Um, and often probably, I, while maybe sometimes the, you know, there's a vision statement of, hey, we need to, we need to change. That certainly the how we get there often comes from the people who are sort of on the front lines and, and right, they have the best insight often. And so I think, you know, if, if we make these transformations at least without getting the input and having that dialogue with the teams, I think that's, that'd be a mess because there's so much we can, we can learn. But so I, I think it, it should be a combination of both. And, and that said, I think that's when it works really well. When we've gone through some of our transformation, I think we, you know, we struggle a little bit with this kind of DevOps mindset transformation for a while. And I think the, for us, that secret sauce was that, that balance of kind of, uh, you know, frontline managers and, and executive sponsorship and leaders that were committed. And, uh, you know, when we sat down every week with kind of these frontline set of managers and directors and, and we shared the stories and we talked about the need and, and we didn't let up, we did that for month after month. And people started to see that this is real and we're serious about it. And, and you saw it sort of come together throughout the organization. It wasn't being pushed from the bottom as an idea that people felt is, is not going anywhere. It wasn't some top-down mandate. It, it really was um, it, this sort of combination of, of bringing the right things together. Interesting. So it sounds like there was some, there was some planning involved um, before you got started. Yeah, I think, I think planning and I think attempts and failed attempts. And I, because I, we probably started early on with that sort of top-down mandate, like, hey, we need to, we need to move, you know, we need to move faster to this, this kind of DevOps mindset and infrastructure as code. And, and that sounded really good, but you know, I, not every network administrator or system administrator is ready to start writing code. And so I, you know, I think we, we certainly had to invest in, in the skill side of that and, and both invest in, in the people we had and supplementing that as we hired with, you know, maybe we hire a software developer and not a sort of infrastructure, um, you know, person. And so how, how do we sort of 
creating that that mix um i, I think it was valuable but yeah it, it's it took some time and it definitely has been a journey so at what point do you stop planning and start doing because one school of thought and this is one i i tend to believe in is that you 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 learn how to do things best by actually doing it right and um you know, of course, there's going to be some missteps along the way. But like we were saying before, you minimize the cost of failure and that gives you that kind of boldness to move forward. So how do you know? And this is something I ask because I get asked this a lot from from customers who are attempting to, to get a transformation off the ground. Um, at what point do you stop planning and start doing and how do you know when when, when you're ready? Yeah, I, I think that's a that's an interesting question. Um, I think that is an important element. I'm not sure how I would define um, when to stop planning. I, I think that is a really important aspect that, you know, you have to ask yourself and, and ask each other, you know, are we overthinking this? Are we ready to get to work? What have we tried? Because the reality is you're not going to learn until you, you start trying things. So have an idea, have a plan, try something out, come back together, see what worked, see what didn't. I, I think it's just that iterative approach and then, and then build on, build on those, share the successes, share the wins. When we started bringing these teams together and having them share, the successes and the wins are, are, you know, hey, we automatically detected a failure and proactively sort of avoided a customer impact or something like that. Sharing these wins was motivating to to each other to, to continue. And that sort of, I don't know if it's gamification of that a little bit or not, but um, but it creates that that positive energy that people can can build off. They they want to come, they want to come to the next check-in and be able to share their own success. Yeah. Well, I would say as a leader, it's all gamification, really, right? We're trying to find those things that work and then repeat those things, right? And then at the same time, experiment with new things. Um, but I think what you said is really important, celebrating those wins. And I would say even over-celebrate those wins, especially in the beginning, right? Because in a transformation, momentum is so important. And, um, you know, the more visible those wins are, you know, the more momentum you'll have and the more invisible the, the, the misses are as well, right? So, um, so definitely. Um, what advice do you have on influencing senior leaders within the organization? Because, you know, a transformation affects everybody, right? So we talked a lot about the team, but what about managing upwards and, and, and even to your peers? Uh, what are some of the uh, tactics that have worked? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think there's some common elements, but I think there's some differences maybe in, you know, how, how do you sort of inspire and motivate an organization of hundreds or thousands to make change? And how do you communicate to a handful of senior leaders uh, you know, uh, the same thing. And so I, I, I think, you know, the time is of the essence. Often you don't have a lot of time in senior, senior leader discussion. So I think sort of the be focused, I think data and facts, you know, to speak volumes. I mean, it's, you know, have a, have a hypothesis, have a theory, have the vision of where you want to go. The, the why is important again. Um, and, you know, I, depending on the business leader, what, what is that value to them? Why does it resonate? what's how's it going to impact their area of responsibility in the business so i think being able to see that see that why and that value but then and then back it up with the you know come back and show do what you say say what you do i think i i like that sort of mantra is look we're going to tell you what we're going to do and and we'll go execute and you know if we make a misstep then then we'll come back and be transparent about that but i think that that just that the really grounding people in kind of the why and then the data and the facts to back it up yeah, well, as, as you probably know, at Amazon, we're very data driven. So I'm definitely a fan of that approach. Um, you know, data kind of speaks for itself, right? So it's kind of hard, hard to argue with that. But also the why is so important because we're, we're dealing with human beings. And I think, you know, when we talk about influencing organizations and teams, sometimes that gets lost, right? But we're talking about human beings, right? Human beings are very much um, 
you know, invested in their why, not just the, the why, just the company's why, but their why, right? So we kind of talked about the team before, what's in it for them is, is a good question to answer. But I think yeah. for senior leaders as well, what's in it for them, it's gonna be a different why. So you kind of have to speak to that why as well. I think that's true. I think, yeah, just communicating and articulating those, the, the why and in kind of the right, the right way to the right group of people. And, and that's sad. I do think, you know, maybe looking at the last, you know, year or two throughout the pandemic, I think as leaders, you know, hopefully, and, and I think largely there's a lot more empathy and a lot, and a lot more thought about, about just the people involved. And, and that's hopefully something we, we've learned a little bit more about and will continue to learn and carry with us forward. And, and so I think helping leaders understand that, that that's an important aspect and how, how is this going to affect the people on their teams and in the business? And, uh, you know, I think that's, again, something that we can hopefully take forward. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we've gotten a lot better at that in the last couple of years. So um, any last advice? I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are still, believe it or not, starting out on their, on their transformation journey or starting out with the cloud. Um, for, for those that are just starting out and, and, and are trying to lead a change, um, any kind of general advice that you would give? I, I think, you know, just to be, be willing to, to, you know, try new things out. I, I think, again, another sort of, I think, leadership concept or quality that I think we're coming around to is this vulnerability. And so being, being, willing, being willing to be a little bit vulnerable and, and it, you know, maybe it's have an uncomfortable conversation to say, I think we need to make a change. And, and you know, why, why is this, what's the value this is gonna create? And, and then step forward and, and try it out and then, you know, be willing to say, hey, it worked or it didn't. And then I think finding the right partners to help you along the way is an important aspect. You know, we don't have to go this alone. There's fortunately, while there's still a lot of, of folks maybe early in the journey, there's a lot that we can learn from others that have gone before us in a lot of ways. I agree. I agree. It's, there's never been a better time to be doing uh, a cloud migration or transformation just because we have so many great examples nowadays, unlike a few years ago, right? A very short few years ago. Nowadays, we have so many great examples of what works, some examples of what doesn't work. And so we're not going into the unknown anymore, right? So learn from those who've done it before. Yeah, absolutely valuable concept. And, and again, maybe not every element of that applies, but um, I think that's one of the things we see value in with with AWS is sometimes, you know, we're still migrating workloads to the cloud and and we may hit, you know, we may we may sort of transition a workload that we've done. It's very similar to other things we've done, but occasionally we're hitting something that we haven't done before. And so just the ability to call on our partners and say, hey, you've probably seen this before. We haven't. Help us understand how we might navigate this and what you've seen work or or not work so that we can try and avoid those, you know, those pitfalls. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely having a strong partner to rely on gives you a competitive advantage. And, you know, it's very wise to take advantage of that. Um, so Brandon, I really want to thank you for, for being with us today. It was a great conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So it's always exciting to talk about the, the transformation.